so we started Secrets, this uh, four-week series. We started on Easter Sunday, and uh, we do this annually. It's kind of like Secret Santa, except you actually enjoy this. And um, we take uh, four weeks to tell the stories of some of the people in our church, their struggles in life, their ups and downs, and their relationship with Christ, and how uh, their faith has gotten them through those, those challenging times. And so we've heard different stories from different people each week. We're finishing today with uh, Cole's story, his secret, his testimony. And uh, if you're not yet a follower of Christ, you're going to get a great insight into what it looks like to follow Jesus. And so these things aren't just for believers. These, these stories are for everyone. These are powerful uh, for everyone. Then after that, I'm going to be preaching from Psalm 23. So if you have a Bible, you can get ready in Psalm 23. We'll get there. But we're going to watch about a 10-minute video, and uh, then I'll be back up. It's really been the only thing that I can actually, I can actually believe in. I grew up in the northern part, the Panhandle of Texas. Um, so, I mean, that's definitely considered like the Bible Belt of, of the country. So, my parents took me to church whether I wanted to go or not uh, every single Sunday, and it was, you know, it was a really good thing for sure. Um, you know, being having that not be not be an option in high school, I. Um, got into alcohol and relationships that, you know, I definitely, with people that I shouldn't have, um, you know, been involved with, or at least, you know, invested so much time um, into, you know, and, and really didn't have my, my priorities straight. Um, I guess same thing, you know, with college. Um, and like I said, I, thankfully, I've, there's never been anything that I would say would be drastic by today's standards, but, um, you know, it is something that, you know, I, I think looking back, there's lessons to be learned from it, but, you know, it's also, um, you know, also something that you would maybe want to take back, right? Um, I don't think that my relationship, I, I think I disconnected from my parents, even though they, they showed me, um, you know, a lot of love and grace and patience um, throughout high school and college. And so that'd be, that'd be something that kind of weighs on me heavy, right? Um, you know, moving away from, moving away from my hometown and not really having plans to go back. You know, I, I do, uh, you know, I, I do wish I could have had that time, you know, with my parents, you know, probably back because I know I won't probably won't get it again in my in my adult life right so um yeah that's it's kind of tough kind of tough for me sometimes for sure i always knew that depression was a thing and and i i've never you know discredited someone who said that they've had it but you know i've always kind of looked at it a little bit skeptically like you know i don't get how you can't get out of bed or um you know i don't really get how you can't get what needs to be done done um it didn't it just didn't really register to me and didn't make a whole lot of sense so uh, but now being able to, to empathize with that, I mean, it, it's something that I, you know, I would talk to anybody about and, and I would listen to anybody who had to say something because it's very, I think the biggest thing with that is it's very, um, the feelings are all the same. Everyone feels the depression in and of itself. I think everyone feels the same, but people think that their story is so unique that no one else knows what they're going through. Um, and that might be true. And, and you know, your, your story in and of itself is um, important and unique, but that feeling is the same. And, and I hope people register that. The loneliness part of things, I mean, I had really bad anxiety attacks. Um, and they're very, I mean, for anybody who's been through, you know, severe like anxiety or panic attacks, at least for me, I mean, they were very crippling. So, um, you know, I think there was a couple, I, I think of a couple 
you know, like major ones, I was I was in our office, uh, you know, work by myself, um, and like I, I like was on I was like on the floor, like I was laying on the floor, probably about half an hour, and I like couldn't stand up, and so I like finally like pulled myself up. I called Mary and I told her that I wasn't going to be home and for a little bit and I kind of told her what was going on and I just really, you know, I didn't, I didn't know it. Um, I didn't know what was going on and, and, you know, I really didn't have any education on this stuff until it started happening to me. So it was kind of a, kind of a trial by fire situation. Um, so that was, you know, that was, that was pretty scary. Um, you know, I, I didn't understand it and to a point, I, I mean, I still don't, but, um, during those moments, and there's been a couple of others, but you know, I think a, a pretty, the most intense portion is is you know suicidal thoughts. Um, if you, you know, if everything's kind of gloomy and nothing really seems worth it to you, you know, you don't have the motivation. Uh, you, yeah, you feel like there's got to be more to life than than what you're doing. Um, and then even the stuff that you you know thought made you happy is is kind of losing that. You know, kind of losing that as well. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think you know, having prevalent suicidal thoughts, um, it got to the point that I uh, I was on uh, I was on a specific medication at the time, and I I wanted to get off of it because it had like numbed all like emotion that I had, and you know, looking back, I might have just had like the wrong doses or something. But you know, I was kind of reluctant to be on medication in the first place because I just didn't want to be someone who had to you know rely on that and just thought there was kind of a stigma to it. Um, you know, having to to rely on a medication for your happiness, I just didn't really see it as a, an actual like you know a, a mental diagnosis or problem. I, I thought something was wrong with me. Um, so you know, once once it had kind of taken away emotion, I told my doctor I didn't want to take it. And, you know, I told her I didn't have any symptoms just because I was, like, really numb to, to everything that was going on. And she, she was like, yeah, and we kind of made this plan to taper off. You know, I was going to continue taking that medication for maybe six weeks um, and, and taper off of it. And I, I just stopped taking it because um, I didn't want to take it, which is, like, detrimental. And, and looking back, I would have done it. I would have done it differently, obviously, but just going back to, you know, having suicidal thoughts, I mean, the, that's, that's definitely a side effect and a symptom. So, I mean, um, I Googled how much of the, how much medication, how much medication that I had, the one that I was taking, I Googled like how much it would take to be, to be fatal. Um, and essentially I started you know, my doctor didn't know that I kind of stopped taking my medication cold turkey, and I just started refilling my prescription. I was gonna, um, I was, you know, gonna get enough refills to, to have that dosage. Um, and I mean, I, somewhere along the way, like I had, like I had a, a better day, and, and I just kind of threw those pills in the closet and, you know, never really thought about it. But, um, you know, I think early, early January of this year, um, I had a pretty bad anxiety attack and I was working from home that day and it was in the morning and um, I went to I went to our bathroom because um, I work out of our bedroom and Mary was still asleep and um, 
so I, I went to our bathroom and, and, you know, she got up and, you know, started her work day and, you know, I was, I started rummaging around for, uh, that medication and, and, you know, for those pills and I just, like, I couldn't find them and I was the one that, like, put them away, which, you know, goes to show you that, like, you know, the husband probably shouldn't be somebody to <laughs> be putting things away, but, you know, I went out, <clears throat> I just went out to Mary and I was just, I was crying and this is the first time she had ever seen me in, like, this sort of state, you know, it was always kind of the aftermath and I would tell her about it and, you know, usually you can kind of down downplay it and act like it wasn't a big deal, but I mean, you know, I was I was right in the middle of it uh, at this point, and so she was like, "All right, like this is you know a lot worse than than we really thought it was, or than I thought it was at least." So you know, she instead of just you know suggesting things to me, she started making me um, you know reach out to my counselor and my doctor and and you know really trying to figure this thing out. Um, but I think the biggest I think the biggest point of that is I I was talking to her and I go, look, I really, I know that like when you married me, this is not who you knew me to be and this is not what you signed up for. And and she like raised her head and looked at me and she was like, this is exactly what I signed up for. And that meant a lot to me, man. Um, I mean, I'll, I'll never forget that. Um, and I know, you know, I know we said, Till, you know, through the, for better or for worse, right? But um, that was definitely worse. And, and she, you know, she didn't waver from that um, in the slightest. And, and she hasn't. And she's been, she's been super supportive. And, you know, I, I definitely couldn't have done this with, uh, you know, without her for sure. Um, or anybody else. I mean, my, you know, my parents included. And, uh, you know, my coworkers have been very supportive. So. Biggest struggle that I've had has been just like, um, like I said, lack of confidence in myself or my like I I don't feel like I have the capacity to accept like approval or or love from other people. You know, I've kind of put up a wall on that front. Um, like I don't take compliments very well. Um, I don't really like you know positive attention. I guess um, so. It hasn't been hard for me in my faith because God's really been the only thing that I can actually, I can actually believe in, right? Because um, if I were to look at really anything else and kind of, and get away from, and get away from God, um, I think I'd be pretty disappointed, um, especially where I'm at right now. Like it's, you know, I don't think you're, no matter how much you love your career, how important you, you um, how seriously you take your career, how important you feel it is to you, um, I don't think it can, I don't think it can satisfy you um, completely, and there's ups and there's downs, but I don't think it can be a consistent, like, foundation for you. Um, and that can be said with anything else, no matter what you value in life or take priority to. Um, I'm a huge sports fan, and I know for a fact, um, you know, liking Denver sports teams is, is not gonna satisfy me in life, or you know, give me that give me that fulfillment that I'd be looking for for sure. Um, so I, I think if I were to look any other direction, um, you know, I think whether it be people or, or other things are going to let me down. So I, I think it's made, I think it's made my face stronger, um, which is a good thing for sure. Uh, just because I, you know, if, even if I wanted to turn somewhere else, I, I don't really think I could. Yeah, my favorite part of that was when Cole said that husbands shouldn't be trusted to put things away. Um, pretty great moment, but 
Hey, Cole, thank you for sharing that. It's a big, it's a hard, it's very hard to share these things, but thank you for your openness and, and vulnerability in that. Let's give Cole a big, a big hand. So he talked about depression, and uh, that's what I want to relate. We're going to be looking at Psalm 23. I want to relate Psalm 23 uh, to that subject matter. This is a very common issue. I think as a culture, we're more aware of depression, anxiety, these kinds of issues more than ever, uh, which is good, but that doesn't mean there's still not some stigma to it or still some barriers or challenges to us actually grappling uh, with these uh, issues. Uh, what kind of, uh, let's give a definition to this as we're talking about depression. How do we define depression? We've got a few points uh, here that are going to come up for us. Ongoing deep feelings of sadness, loss of interest, and loss of motivation. I, I suppose for some people that you could add eating ice cream for breakfast maybe as well. This idea of ongoing deep feelings of sadness, this is, we've got to understand that we all feel sad. You can't not feel sad. Right, you're going to feel sad. The, the point with depression is, is that it doesn't go away, and it's, it's deep sadness. It's not necessarily related to something that's happening that day. It's just a, a mood of sadness that is prolonged and very, very deep. So it's not just the sadness that we all face. It's something more profound than that. Studies show that about, there's about 15 million people in the U.S. that have a major depressive disorder. There's obviously a spectrum here, but that's of the worst kind. 50% uh, of people who have depressive symptoms or depressive feelings um, don't seek help with their depression. Women are 70% more likely to struggle with this. And it's said that 30% of college students feel depressed. I think we can assume that 100% of people that hear all these statistics also feel depressed. Person, on a personal level, maybe this is not your struggle, uh, but it could become your struggle. Cole, this was a new th newer thing for Cole to experience uh, in, his, in the last few years of his life, last couple of years. But also, we can be uh, affected by this by proximity. So it might be that a loved one um, is already affected by this or becomes affected by this. I can think of periods in my life where I look back on it, and I, I'm pretty sure I was struggling with undiagnosed depression. And obviously, it's always risky to self-diagnose, uh, but I'm almost certain that that would be uh, the case. But also my immediate family, knowing those uh, as well who uh, I grew up around uh, some of this as well, so I'm familiar in some regard with the issues of depression. Now, d depression and anxiety uh, really go hand in hand. Um, they're, they're obviously different. Depression is obviously that issue of deep sadness, ongoing deep sadness and loss of motivation and uh, loss of interest in things. Anxiety is uh, being overwhelmed and being uh, tense and, and uptight. And prolonged anxiety can often lead to depression. That's one of the ways that they interrelate to each other. So but they, they can very much go together, and we can kind of teeter between these uh, two things. What causes depression? What causes it? We've got a short list here of uh, some high-level things, that things we can look to. Trauma, unmet hopes, living under expectations. There could be a biological component to this as well serious illness, substance abuse, or it could be spiritual as well, or a combination of these different things. Many people have found a lot of comfort over the centuries 
in the Psalms in particular. Obviously, the, God's Word is very comforting, but the Psalms in particular are very comforting, and specifically Psalm 23, written by our favorite king of Israel, King David, who was a, an accomplished musician, songwriter, great beloved leader and warrior, and I'm almost certain that if he was alive today, he'd be great at Wii Sports, and uh, that would be a lot of fun. But he wrote Psalm 23 because he, he, David learned to communicate his emotions in a very vulnerable, very open way. And we need to learn from this. We need to look at David's example and learn from his emotional vulnerability. So let's pray and then uh, let's read this. Thank you, Jesus, for your word. And thank you for this psalm. And we pray that you would speak to us today through your word, that you would heal anyone today struggling with sadness, with that depression, and with anxiety as well. Lord, would your healing power flow today and touch all those here, all those online, who feel empty and lost and hopeless. Lord, literally save lives today. Lord, spiritually, physically, Lord, restore people. By your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Psalm 23. King David wrote this. He says, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, and my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is God's word. Now verse 1 there starts with this idea, the Lord is my shepherd. God is my shepherd. God leads us and protects us and watches over us and provides for us and leads us to restful places of provision. And it says that he leads us in paths of righteousness. That means God shows us the right way to live. We don't know the right way to live. We're bad at that. But God leads us in paths of righteousness so that we can be righteous like he is righteous so that we can avoid evil and darkness, but we can live righteously for him. So we have this great shepherd, this good shepherd in God who has a plan to steer us in the right direction, to satisfy us and to provide for us and to protect us. And then in contrast, we, so we've had the shepherd, we're the sheep. And, you know, we can think of sheep as being cute and cuddly and fluffy and that's all wonderful. But it's, it's not really a compliment that the Bible calls us sheep because sheep are pretty dumb, and sheep get easily lost. They're defenseless creatures. They wander all over the place. They're uh, open to attack. They can get easily hurt. They get stuff stuck in their wool all the time. They can't take it out. They need help with that. They don't know how to find good sources of food. They're prone to eating poisonous things. Um, so sheep need a lot of help, and we are called sheep. We're called sheep. We're, this is the the position we're in. So we're so, and actually, some Christians are, are even more sheep-like than others. Some of us are cuddly and furry. Some people, some people even sound like sheep. 
as well. But the point is, is that metaphorically we're, we're in the, the, the sheep role and he's in the shepherd role, kind of like the parent and, and the child role. That if, if you think about a child misbehaving and being all emotional and mad about something that's completely inconsequential and you see the immaturity of that, that's us. That's a direct picture. That's us. God's the parent. He, he knows what's righteous and what's good. He's mature. We're the sheep. We're the child. We need a shepherd. Now, as it relates to uh, depression, one of the things that we're vulnerable as sheep, as children, one of the things we're vulnerable to believing is that our lives don't matter. This is the lie of depression, is that your life or my life is worthless. It doesn't matter. Nobody cares. Nobody cares for us. No one's looking out for us. No one would miss us if we were gone. We have no worth whatsoever. Now, I mean, and I know... I've had those feelings myself. Cole talked about those feelings. If you've experienced that before, you know how real that feels, but it's not real. But you know how real it feels, but it's not real. That's not the truth. It can be further from the truth. Do you, do you know it today? Do you know the truth? Do you have a shepherd in heaven who's always with you, guiding, helping? So the problems we face in this life, the challenges that we face, they're not to do with the shepherd. The shepherd is amazing. He's a great shepherd. He's a perfect shepherd. Always there, guiding, helping. The problem is really on our end. It's our own failure to really follow the direction of the shepherd, to see the, the green pasture that he is leading us to. So a lot of, or sometimes, there's a few things that can cause sadness and cause us to struggle, that can cause anxiety, or that can even lead to depression. Some of it is misplaced expectations. So David says, you know, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The things that we want, the hopes we have, the dreams we have, the desires we have, they can be good things, they can be bad things that we can desire, but those things, we suffer as a race of human, the, ra the human race, we suffer from this, this syndrome of the grass is, is always greener. Other people have it better. I'm worse off. There's these kind of wallowing thoughts that we might, it's not even necessarily comparison with other people. It can be just comparison to just what we expected of ourselves. My career is not where I want it to be. Financially, I'm not where I want to be. My, my social status is not where I want it to be. I'm not getting the recognition I want. Or my relationships aren't the way that, that I really want. I'm, I'm single and I want to be married. Or I am married, but I want a, a better marriage or a different marriage. Or I don't have kids, I want kids, or I, I have one kid, but I want more kids, or I want to get rid of my kids, or whatever it might be. I, I, you know, I, I want a bigger apartment, I want, to, I want to own property, I want to own a different property in a different location, or move somewhere else. You know, this is, these wants that we have, what we're missing is the good shepherd knows exactly the pasture to lead us to, to satisfy us, to heal us, to help us. And we miss it. We miss it. So I know some of the, the deepest wounds, some of the deepest disappointments I've experienced in my own life, I set myself up for them. Like I created those things myself. Some, you know, being frustrated with certain outcomes or certain things happening and then being devastated, being crushed because it didn't go the way I wanted or I saw someone else get something I wanted and then I blame other people. Well, it's not my fault. It's other people's. So it's God's fault. It's other people's faults. God, we've got to understand something about God. God takes us through problems and difficulties 
on purpose. On purpose. So in verse 4, it talks about the valley of the shadow of death. The valley of the shadow of death. This can be rendered, this can be interpreted the valley of deep darkness. So this is a, a picture from David's life. And as a shepherd boy uh, looking after his father's uh, sheep, he would have to go through different parts of Judah. And in certain terrains or certain valleys, there are pathways through there that are extremely treacherous, excuse me, and uh, they are extremely dangerous in different ways. And so you could be, and in some areas there'd be tunnels or, or, or dark coverings where it would be pitch black and you'd be in, uh, in danger from predators, in danger from bandits, or in danger from flash floods, or all kinds of things could go wrong. You've got to take care of not just yourself, but this flock of sheep. And so he says, well, the shepherd has the staff, and the, the staff, so think of Gandalf, if you will, you know, with the staff, uh, Lord of the Rings, maybe something epic like that, and uh, going through the, the deep, dark valley of darkness. And, but the, the staff gives comfort to the sheep, because if you're in a place, if you're a defenseless creature like a sheep, and you don't know how to navigate, you don't know how to get food, you don't know where you're going, you're completely at the, the, the mercy of, of, the, of having a good shepherd, and if you can't see what's ahead, you don't know the terrain, you just know you're in darkness right now, it's comforting to feel the staff touch you, because the shepherd's behind, leading the sheep forward, and the shepherd will, will nudge on one side, and you know, oh, that's, that, I need to go that way. Or nudge on the other side, I need to go this way. I can hear the shepherd's voice talking to me. Oh, that, that gives me comfort. But just feeling the touch of the staff reminds me, shepherd's still there. I'm not lost. I'm okay. It's all good. I don't know what, I can't see where I'm going. It's complete darkness, and, and it's treachery. But, wow, I, I've got the comfort of, of the shepherd with me. But then there are times where the shepherd has to strike with the rod the sheep. And, uh, you know, we're in a culture that's kind of sensitive to pain. We think all oh, pain is, is wrong. But unfortunately, we need to feel some discomfort sometimes because like sheep, we're stubborn. We stop when we shouldn't stop. Sheep will actually get really close to, to cliff edges and sometimes fall off as well. And you, you, you need a rod sometimes. You know, it'd be better to be whacked and be like, ooh, that wasn't good, then fall off a cliff. Which would you choose? The good shepherd knows what we need. He's there. Sometimes he has to strike the sheep because the sheep's uh, stubborn, wayward, going its own way, in danger, doesn't know how to get to where it needs to go. And so the shepherd intervenes in this way out of love, out of care, out of concern. We can struggle with our relationship with Jesus if we don't understand that this is how it works. This is how it works. See, we think we've got our lives figured out. We think we know what's best for us. We think we know the way. But if we're, I, I would suggest to us, I want to propose to us that perhaps we need to trust the shepherd more than ever before. Deep down, really trust the shepherd more than we ever have before. And if we're constantly struggling, constantly striving in these cycles of, of sadness that we can't quite explain, then perhaps it's because we don't have the proper view of our relationship with Jesus. We don't understand that this life is not just that there's one valley and that the valley might be very long. You know that, right? It's not like you don't just get out the valley right away. Sometimes the valley is very long. But if you do get out of the valley, that doesn't mean there's not another valley. You may have to come back the same way. You may have to go to a different area. There's another valley there. 
this is life. In fact, this life is kind of one giant valley. I mean, once in one sense, you could because this life is, is, is a there's tragedy and pain and evil things in this life, and so a, it can be a terrible thing. And so that if we don't understand this, we're going to be constantly frustrated because the ultimate pasture, right? The ultimate that peak that we want to get to, that 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 lush land, that 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 pasture that we want to get to, that that's heaven. That's the ultimate place. There there are moments of heaven here on earth that we that we can experience with God. He leads us to those places, leads us, leads us, well, in, in the midst of the darkness too, leads us to that place of rest, that place of contentment. More than the things we think we need, more than the things we want, we need the contentment of God. That's what we need. That's the biggest lesson that any of us could learn is to be content. I'm content. I'm satisfied in God. I don't have to compare my life to others. I don't have to compare my life to the, the things the world says I should care about, the messaging in the world. I, I'm satisfied in God. God is my, my shepherd and my delight. The truth is that our shepherd never, ever leaves us. He is always with us. That means we have divine love and divine parenting and goodness with us every day of our lives. What a joy. If you can get a hold of that truth, what a joy. And that's the kind of truth you need up here because you don't always feel it. Right? You don't always feel it. But one of the things you've got to understand about thoughts and feelings, the way that thoughts and feelings relate to each other is, is that your thoughts determine your feelings. This is one of the powerful truths that, can, that, can, that God can use to set us free, is that your thoughts determine your feelings. So if your feelings are downcast, you have to trace it back and say, well, what thoughts am I having? That's how it's, that's, honestly, it's that simple. I'm not saying it's simple to always work out of that because... When you're in depression, you lack the motivation that you need to actually work out of it, right? That's the, one of the traps of depression is that that's why, like Cole mentioned, praise God for his wife and for the, the, the help that came there and the support in that, that. And we need people in our lives like that who can help us. So how can we be free? If, if we've got this good shepherd who's with us, who never leaves us, how can we be free of the sadness and the depression and the, the, the negative emotions that we deal with and the the dis disappointments that we, even if it's not as severe as depression, how can we deal with the disappointments? Well, we've got to look at, um, we've got to look at how do, we've got to identify what are the causes of these things we're experiencing, and then what are some responses to them. Let's go through some actual signs of depression, because if you recognize any of these, we're going to put up a list here. If you recognize any of these, this is not, you know, please see a doctor, please talk to, to a professional. But here are some signs of depression. Maybe some of these you can relate to. Difficulty concentrating or remembering details and making decisions. Fatigue and decreased energy. Feelings of guilt, worthlessness or helplessness. Feelings of hopelessness or pessimism. Insomnia, early morning wakefulness or excessive sleeping. Irritability or restlessness. Loss of interest in activities or hobbies once pleasurable, including sex. Overeating or appetite loss. Persistent aches or pains headaches, cramps, or digestive problems that do not ease even with treatment, persistent, sad, anxious, or empty feelings, thoughts of suicide or suicide attempts. If you resonate with some of those, don't go another day without talking to somebody about it, without sharing it with a Christian brother or sister. Get help because the danger of depression is that you don't have the motivation you need yourself. Get out of it. To get out of it, you need some help to get you to a place where you're in a bit of a better place to lead uh, yourself through those things as well. So earlier on, we talked about some of the causes of depression. Let's, let's take a quick look at some of these again. If you, 
if you, if you identify that, say, like, hey, I've experienced some kind of trauma in my life, and maybe that's the cause of some of the feelings I have, well, what's the response to that? The, the unfortunate thing about trauma is, is the last thing we want to do with it is face it, but the only way to get free from it is to face it directly. And if that's the cause of, of depression, we have to enter into that. So let me, let me explain it this way. A really helpful way to think about depression is to think about, is to, is to parallel it with, with a physical illness. So if you went to the doctor and the doctor, you know, said, look, you've got a serious illness. We've done tests and we, you know, you've got problems with your lungs or stomach or your kidneys or there's something wrong or you've got, you know, God forbid, you know, you've got cancer or something, you get some awful diagnosis, you know, the response is going to be, well, what's the treatment? Like, you know, how do I respond to this? What do I need to change? Like, how, how do I respond to this? We have to think about emotional trauma, like emotional illness. That would be actually a helpful way to talk about it. I have, a, I have an emotional illness. So what's the treatment? How do I respond to this injury, emotional injury I have? Because this emotional injury is causing me depression. So I have to think about what's the remedy? How do I respond to it in that, in that kind of way? What if it's uh, unmet hope or, yeah, unmet hopes? That's another one, right? I've, I've got things I've desired. They just haven't come around. We have to surrender those things to God. We really have to learn to hold things with an open hand. Maybe God will still bless us with that. We don't, you know, we don't know. We can't control the outcomes of lots of things. We have some influence, but it's limited. So if there's unmet hopes, we have to open our hands and surrender those things to God. What if it's, what if it's expectations that have been placed upon us? We're living under expectations. We, you know, we've got to kind of go on a personal journey and, and peel back the layers of those expectations and realize those things I've adopted, those expectations... I should never have accepted those things. I didn't know any better. Maybe I was a kid at the time. Maybe I was, wasn't wiser at the time, but I, man, I took on those things and I got I to gotta get free of that. What if, what if it's a, a biological issue? What if there is some chemical thing going on? There's a biological disorder. You know, see a doctor. You know, talk to, you know, d d do some research. You know, find out. You know, is, is medication the thing for me? That, that is helpful for some people. It can be a combination of these things as well. What if it's substance abuse? Sometimes that can cause depression. Sometimes that can be that can exacerbate it. Well, the response there is to realize I have an addiction. I'm addicted to something. I need to get freedom from this. This is causing me a lot of trouble, a lot of pain. What if it's spiritual? What if there's something you've dabbled in spiritually that's opened you up to something? What if there's unrepentant sin, something in the past that you haven't really resolved properly? There, you got to get prayer. You got to repent. You got to turn it over to God. Make it right. You got to fix it. There's it can be a combination of all these different things. So there's really three attitudes that we need in responding in in bringing these things to God. The first one is that we've got to let God in. We have to let God into these things. We can't keep Him separate from these things. We have to. That's one way to display faith is to let God into this. The second thing we got to do is we got to let other people into this. You know, that stat that I mentioned earlier on, that 50% of people that struggle with depression don't seek help. That's a terrifying number. And that leads me to the third thing, is that we've got to stop making excuses. We have to take ownership over this. You know, it's easy to make excuses like, well, if I accept the label of depression, then it's a really serious problem. What will other people think of me? What will people say of me? Or what Cole said, well, it's a, I don't want to be somebody whose happiness is dependent upon a drug. 
You know, those, we can have those kinds of thoughts. And it's natural and understandable to have those kind of thoughts. But the fact of the matter is, if we could have solved it ourselves, we would have done already. The truth is that we need help. We all need help. We're all vulnerable. And we're all prone to having disappointments. And any one of us could struggle with depression, given the right circumstances, given the right situations. Any one of us could find ourselves in this place. Maybe even now you're thinking back to periods in the past where you thought, Maybe that was it. Maybe that's what I was going through, and I, I didn't realize it at the time. I didn't seek the help, and thank God I'm not in that place anymore. Or maybe you're realizing right now, that's me. Oh, my gosh, that's me. Listen, your life matters too much for it to be destroyed by a lie. Your life matters too much for it to be destroyed by a lie. Your life, it matters, and it matters too much to be destroyed by a lie. It's a lie that you don't have any worth. That's one of the worst lies. It should be so obvious to us, but, it's, but we believe it. We accept it. What a lie. Look at what, is the, what does Scripture say. We read it in verse 6. David writes this, these wonderful words from David. He says, Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. What a wonderful promise. Now, that doesn't mean that only good things will happen to us because we know we're in there's valleys. We know there's valleys. So it's not that, but we know there's a promise that also good things will happen to me and that God has planned good things for me to do as well. Goodness will follow me, but it also says mercy will follow me. Now, that's a curious thing, isn't it? We have to have mercy following us every day of our lives. Why do you think might we all need mercy following us every day of our lives? Well, may I suggest that perhaps we fail and do things wrong, and sin, and judge, and we can be wicked at times. And that's why we need mercy constantly. Now, sometimes we have to live with certain decisions, and there are still consequences in this, this life to the things that we do, but there's still mercy with it, because there's still a relationship with God. No matter how bad we've been, God will say to us, and no matter the consequences we have to live with for the rest of our days, God will say to us, I forgive you, I love you, I'm preparing a place for you, and I won't judge you for your sin. This is the heart of the gospel. This is the good news that Jesus came to tell us. Jesus himself told us that he was the good shepherd. That's why you, I love thinking about Psalm 23 when you think about the words of Jesus where he says he's the good shepherd. Like, yeah, he's the one that leads us to, 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 to green pastures. He leads our soul to rest. He knows the, the, the best things that we that we need, really. He has all the answers, all the, all, the, all the contentment for us, to help us, to guide us, to bless us. He is the good shepherd, and he made this great exchange, his righteousness for our sinfulness. And he's got endless amounts of mercy for us. That's what it takes. That's the only way the human race can be free from evil, is if it's infinite, endless amounts of mercy. Mercy that does not stop that is constant, that flows towards us. I'm so glad that goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Because there are some days I recognize I need, I, I, feel, I feel like I need a lot of mercy today. Wow, I need extra mercy today. Some days more than other days you can say like, hey, you know, I did a pretty good job today. Unfortunately, it's only one day. It's 1% of my life, you know, whatever. But I, I got it right. It's, it's still filthy rags, right? It's still, but God blesses our good works still, right? God still sees our good works. He's still gracious enough to say, I'm going to bless you for that good work. That's a good thing. But it's, not, it's never good enough to save us. It's only through the work of Christ that we can be saved, through the good 
shepherd, the shepherd that says that he'll risk his own life, lay down his own life for the sake of the sheep. He'll leave the flock, safe of course, and go off to find the one, even just one sheep that's gone astray, that's wandering around on the edge of the cliff. Maybe you're a cliff wanderer. Any cliff wanderers with us today? You're a stubborn sheep. You like to wander by the cliff. It looks fun. The view's great. Danger. Danger. The comforting staff of the shepherd comes to bring us back, to teach us the right way. Trust Jesus more than ever before. He is good. He's so good. And he died for you to take your sin away, to take my sin away. And uh, we want to respond as well. There's a few ways that you can respond. The offering will come around in just a second, and you can turn in a few of the things that you received when you came in. Hold on to your small groups brochure so you can take a look at what groups we have. Uh, But we have this Connect card in here and this offering envelope, and I want to ask you to turn both of these in today. In fact, I want to ask you, with this really cool Connect card you have here that you have the emojis on it, if you're not quite ready to turn it in with the offering, uh, you can. We have some wall-mounted boxes at the back. You can always slip it in there if if you miss the offering. Uh, But I want to ask you, with this Connect card, would you fill one of these in every week, every every person? I know that's a little bit crazy of me to maybe ask you to do that. There's a few reasons. I want to be praying for you every week, and it helps me know if you're here, all right? And you can write down a prayer request on the back. There are next steps. You can take different ways of getting involved. Uh, But also, if you fill one of these in, it encourages everyone else as well to fill one in. And I want to get connected. I really love meeting people and get connected to all the guests that we have. And if you can encourage someone by completing one of these, that would really, really help. So go ahead and grab that right now and uh, try and fill that out uh, in time for the offering. And then we have the offering envelope as well. Uh, Even if you're not planning on using this, please turn this back in as the baskets come around so that we can uh, reuse that. And just to say thank you to everyone that supports our church. We have a very generous church and your gifts make all the difference. Thank you so, so much.